0: Would you open your Bibles with me to uh, John chapter 21, John chapter 1, actually, actually there are many who think that this last chapter of the book of John was added after John's death. Now don't get nervous, don't get nervous, we're just guessing because it appears to be an appendix after the great confession of Thomas in chapter 20. And it could be that chapter 21 is an addition to that, adding on to this, this story. So we're going to look at that as we go. And it says, and it talks to us in the very first word in chapter 21, verse 1, it says, Afterward, please stop. Afterward. After what? Afterward what? We talk about, is it added on to this addition On to the story. Well, let's just remember that the disciples have been through an incredible experience together. Somehow something was missing. Oh, this is after the resurrection. Sorry, we're good. We're good. After the resurrection, Jesus is talking about, that's what's afterward. I got lost, but I'm okay now. Chapter 1. All right. Chapter 21, verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Now, Simon Peter... Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana, where the wedding was in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, John and James, and two other disciples who shall remain nameless at this time, uh, were down, and they 11, uh, um, seven out of the eleven, Judas was already had hung himself by this time, and what did they do? Well, they went fishing. Now, it's important to understand this about, that they had gone fishing after Jesus had resurrected, just as shortly afterwards. Now, they had been through quite a bit of time. And this may explain why they went fishing. Because if you just go back early in the week, remember that they had been on vacation when they went and saw the raising of Lazarus. Can you imagine that experience of going, well, he's dead and he's gone, and then see Jesus raise someone from the dead. It was an incredible experience. But right after that, just two days later, then we have the triumphal entry. And they think, oh, Jesus is now going to be king. And they were so excited as they were laying palm branches. They didn't understand why Jesus was weeping. As he looked over Jerusalem as he was going in. But they were so excited about it. And then very shortly after that, Jesus cleansed the temple for the second time. And drove out the money changers. They were there. They witnessed all that. They witnessed the discussions that happened between Jesus and the Pharisees. As they were talking and arguing back and forth. Then they went through the Last Supper. And then they had that experience of going and that moving experience. And Jesus was different. During that Last Supper, he was in a different mood as he come. And then he took him out to the garden, and there, he went up there to the garden of Gethsemane, and there he poured out his heart to them while they were sleeping, because they were tired. They had had a big meal, and they had eaten, and even Jesus said, well, just, just stay awake with me and pray for me. And they couldn't even do that, as they'd been through that experience. And then there was the arrest that happened, and the cutting off of the, uh, uh, servant's ear by Peter with his sword, and Jesus put the ear back on. They had witnessed all that. Then they went through these incredibly different trials that Jesus went through. They saw that. They witnessed that. Then they remember the conviction that they had chose Barabbas instead of uh, choosing uh, Jesus. And they let Brabus go, the conviction of that. Then they witnessed the crucifixion, if they had the nerve to see that Jesus was dead. And they put him in the tomb. And then there was the story that there was the resurrection, that he had come back. And then there was a story that Mary claims that she saw Jesus and what was going on in her head when she was claiming that she had seen Jesus alive and going. And so what did they do? They went fishing. <laughs> Now, perhaps that was a wise move. You know, when you have a lot of stress in your life and a lot of things are going on, depression can set in, you can be confused, you can have a lot of things, you're in great distress. Perhaps fishing would be a good thing to go do. After all, it was their livelihood. They knew how to fish. These were experienced fishermen. So they knew what to do, and so... They were going to go out fishing. But Jesus, but Jesus and his cause, Christ and his cause, it was at a great crisis moment in importance right then. Because the disciples' reaction to all that had taken place, all that had happened, their world got turned upside down, was to go back to what was familiar. To go back to what they could do. Because their world had been wiped out. And it was. It has gone. Wiped out. It was a horrendous event. Now, you keep your hand right there, if you would, in in John chapter 21. And if you want to, you can turn over to Luke 24. We get a little picture here in Luke 20. Jesus had been talking to his disciples, and he had said something to them specifically. Okay? In Luke. We don't have it in John. We do have it in Luke 24. And Jesus was talking to them, and he said this to them, and he made this thing about him. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. And this is after the resurrection. He said, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of uh, Moses and in the prophets and the Psalms. That was the way you shorthanded and said, this was the Old Testament that he was talking about. They didn't have the New Testament, so they didn't call it the Old Testament. So he said, well, it was the law, it was the prophets, it was the Psalms. That made up the, all of the scriptural writing. He goes on and said, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He was basing what he was talking about all on the scriptures. And he told them, This is what was written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And may end up in Naples, Florida. Preaching of that. And he said, you are witnesses of these things. You are to give your testimony of what these things are. Now I'm going to send you, he said. What the Father has promised, they had no idea what the Holy Spirit meant to be sent to them. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with the power from on high. Jesus told them to do what? To stay in the city. <laughs> and they had gone fishing. They weren't in the city at all. They were they were gone. They were they were other places. They they had disappeared, they were gone. Okay, back to chapter 21 then in John. Go flip back there. So how did this happen? How did this go? Well, remember the events that had just taken place in their lives. Eh? What had taken place? So, so watch this carefully. So verse 3, I'm going to go out to fish, said Simon Peter. And they said to him, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them and said, friends, haven't you any fish? They called out to them. And they boldly answered, nope, we have no fish, none whatsoever. And he said, well, throw in your net onto the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Shouldn't that ring a bell in their mind about something going on? Uh, should have should have had something. I mean, somebody yelling from the shore, you know, telling you what to do. About I've had people do that. I'm trying to do something. And somebody yells, at them, well, do this, do that. Or maybe your wife uh, gives you suggestions on how to do what you know you should be doing. <laughs> be careful there. Uh, so throw it in on the other side. And when they did, the Bible says, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish that they had put in. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved, who was that? That was John, John, whom said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard that say, it is the Lord, He wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off as his fishing, and he jumped into the waters, they weren't that far away. And the other disciples followed in the boat, towing a large net behind them, full of fish, and they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. And when they had landed, they saw that there was a fire burning coals, and with uh, there were fish on it, and some bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some fish uh, that you have just caught. So Simon Peter now climbed back into the boat, and he dragged the net ashore, and it was full of fish. How many fish did they have? 153. That looks like a pretty good catch. Um, But even with so many, the net was not torn, even with a huge catch. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. And they none of the disciples, this was added on, none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. They knew it was the Lord. They didn't need to ask. They saw. They recognized him. And Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. And did the same with the fish. So here is Jesus cooking breakfast for his disciples which could have had to be quite an event, didn't it? Cooking there with him. You know, that's not the last time Jesus is going to cook prepared for us. Did you know that? When we get to heaven, we're going to sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and Jesus is going to take care of all of the food. All of the arrangements will all be taken care of when we're there. The deaconesses won't have to do any preparing Now, this was the third time, the Bible says, that Jesus appeared to his disciples. And after he was raised from the dead, the third time that he had appeared. Now, here's the thing you need to catch. This was an extremely awkward moment. And if you don't catch why this was awkward and why this was a difficult moment. You miss the power and the impact of what's going to be coming. So they are out fishing. They knew Jesus had told them they're supposed to be waiting in the city in Jerusalem. And they're up fishing, and they got caught. What do you do? You're caught. You kind of look at the floor and kind (laughs) of... But there's even a deeper problem that is in this group. And that is Simon Peter is there. And now it's face to face with Simon Peter and Jesus. How do you think... Simon Peter was feeling at this moment. Remember, he had jumped out of the boat to come to come to Jesus in front of the other six that were there. He he came to came up out of the boat to to Jesus, and when Jesus asked him, he was a rush. To, I'll, I'll go haul this in. Do you see this kind of? It's suggesting to us his participation in this, you see? You see how he's trying to get back. Why? Because everyone in that circle knew that he had denied the Lord three times and swore that he didn't know him. When Jesus needed him, he let his friend down, and now everybody in that group knows it. And so it was extremely awkward. Extremely awkward. And there had to be tension floating around in that group. Not only had they not gone where they were supposed to be, they were supposed to be in the city. They were now out fishing. Jesus had caught them out fishing. But Peter, Peter was the one who said, let's go fishing. And they had gone along with him. And now Jesus shows up. And there they are in this circle. And he has cooked them breakfast. And when they had finished eating, verse 15. Jesus said to Simon Peter. Simon son of John. Do you love me more than these? Now, there is a dispute amongst Bible scholars who the these were, who he was talking about. Some don't like the implications of what others draw from this. But I would like for you to consider something this morning. If he was saying, do you love me more than these other disciples? That has an incredible impact on Peter. And he responded in front of everyone. He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, Peter said. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. And then in verse 16, he said, and again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he responded. You know I love you. Take care of my sheep, he said. And a third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And all the other six that are sitting there Are listening intently. Denied him three times. And now Jesus asks him. Do you love me? Dearly beloved. That is the question of judgment. That Jesus asks every one of us. That's what it hinges on. Do you love me? Jesus asks. He asks each of us, Do you love me? And the Bible records that Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, Do you love me? He was hurt. Of course he was. Refreshing to the pain reminder that Jesus would not let that pass. And there was a purpose why Jesus was addressing that. There was a reason was. Because if Jesus had not done this, they never would have trusted Peter again. Never would. The disciples already had Peter's number. He'd been the loud mouth. He said, oh yeah, I love you. Yes, you are the Christ. Yes, I will do anything. I will blah, blah, blah. And when it came, push came to shove, he gave up. He swore he didn't know him. He hid. The bold man showed him that he was a coward. The rest didn't do that. Only Peter. So when his mettle had been tested, he failed. And he responded, Lord, you know all things. You can read my heart. You know that I love you, he said. Now, it's interesting in the in the Greek that when you read that, it says, I love you. The first two times he said, I love you, agape. And that agape love was that I love you as my God. But the last time he used the word philo, the love philo. In other words, I love you as my friend. See the difference in the change there happening? I want to ask you this morning, how do you feel about this story? How do you feel about what had taken place there? It's a a difficult thing to wrap your mind around, in a sense, because you didn't deny the Lord. It was Peter. And those other disciples that are sitting there are watching this take place. They would have excluded him. Yes, we have friends. Yes, we do that, blah, 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 blah. But... We wouldn't want him to be in the ministry anymore. Certainly, if we were considering a pastor, knowing that he had done that, we certainly wouldn't consider him. We'd say, thank you for your application. Appreciate that. Don't call us, we'll call you. Type of thing. Isn't that right? We, we wouldn't. No, no. So how do you feel about this story as it rolls through about sitting there at that table? If you were around that listening to that, having part of that, how do you feel about that? What's the impact that it may have in your life? Peter was in anguish after he had sinned like that, denying the Lord and saying it three times. The true character of Peter, he couldn't stand to face himself. he was trying everything he could. Pulling in the net. Being the first out of the boat. Embarrassed. Humiliated. Knowing that the Lord knows all things. Knows exactly what he did. Predicted what he would do. And yet he was a coward. And so so weak at it. And he's in anguish. but the Lord loves those who are in anguish. You know that? And in that morning breakfast, Jesus restored Peter to discipleship. He forgave him. Peter was restored. Now, it's true that they didn't elect him to be the leader. They elected James instead. But Peter and Paul became the great missionary apostles of the church. And Peter was crucified upside down for his faith. Now, just a little bit deeper here. Researchers have uh, been looking and discovered early church writings and other writings other than are found in the scripture. And they have found a way of which they speak about Peter. And Peter's name, they would say, Peter, the one who denied the Lord. You see that label? Yes. So our speaker today is Peter, the one who denied the Lord. Just so we all remember which one it is. So everywhere Peter went where everybody knows the story, and if he were here today, we would be looking at him and said, that's Peter. Yeah, that's the one who denied the Lord. I remember that story. We wouldn't say, oh, this is Peter the great missionary. This isn't the great apostle. We have that hidden within us that we would say, then looking at him, no, that's Peter. That's the one. Mm -hmm. Label right on it. Denied the Lord. Oh no, we wouldn't do that, Pastor. Really? What about what about Rahab the harlot? Rahab the harlot. She was taken in and made a princess in the household of God. Did you know that? Well, we don't say that. We just say, "Boy, oh, that's Rahab the harlot." So could we, the church, forgive and restore like that? And some of us face issues and we shrink and we're cowards and we blow it. Because it's our fault that we blew it and we knew it and we did it anyway. Anyway. Is the church wear and put on them a label, or can the church forgive and restore? Well, we would ask: Well, well was that genuine? Was that a genuine confession? Can we ever, ever trust that person again? I ask you, does exclusiveness and pushing somebody to the edge, does that ever help? Not in my experience. Never helps. See, the the other disciples were not open to trusting Peter. They were not open to doing that. But Jesus restored him. And when the Lord of glory brought him back, forgave him, restored him to be a disciple because he could look beyond the denials. He could look beyond the sin. He could look beyond the cowardice. He could look beyond the weakness of Peter and see that he is his child and that Peter loved him. And that was the criteria. You love me, don't you, Peter? Yes, I love you, Lord. You know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. So how do you feel about that story? To me as a pastor, that has impact on how I'm going to live my life. Does it not yours? As I've been thinking about this, in many years I've pondered this story and read this story over and over. Thought of the impact of that story. How is that going to affect how I deal with others? As a pastor, you get a lot of praise at times, but there are times you don't. Times when, boy, mud flies your way. Sometimes after you get over that type of feeling, you have to learn, is there really truth in there that I need to learn something? That's a hard step to go. But as a church family, do we want our place to be a place of love? acceptance, and forgiveness. Because in reality, every one of us needs that. You see, none of us can stand up and say, I've never done anything like Peter. Oh, maybe you haven't denied the Lord. But you know in your own heart your weakness and your sinfulness is there. And that's what's so beautiful about what a church is to be. It is a place where people are loved and accepted and forgiven. Restored. Restored back. Dear Lord, I thank you for this powerful lesson out of John chapter 21. And for whoever added it on, whether John did or others. For it gives us such an insight, Lord, into into the beauty of of what it means to be loved, to be forgiven, to be restored, to be accepted back. Your household of faith is to be that, Lord. We need to be taught that. We need to have your spirit teach us that. In your name. Amen.